visions of the night would be the visions that God would give people while they were asleep. And then visions would be what we call um, basically the daydreams, the visions during the day from God. And a lot of times, you know, people are concerned and worried, I had a nightmare, or somebody was trying to kill me, I was in danger, you know, is that torment from Satan. And we don't really see biblically anywhere where Satan is trying to, uh, has the ability to get into our dreams. What we do see is issues that people are dealing with in their waking life and they're praying and they're asking God for help, they're, they're thinking about it, they're trying to figure out what to do. We see God giving them dreams while they're sleeping to help them understand what to do when they wake up. So one example that we've looked at already is in the book of Acts when Paul and some of the disciples, it might have been Peter, I think it was Paul, was trying to decide where to go next to teach. And in his dream, a man from Macedonia was waving at him and calling him to come. So when he woke up, he's like, oh, God, God finally told me where we should go. And so we see a lot of dreams and symbolism in the Old Testament as well. So again, just for a reminder, we see in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit. On all people, your sons and daughters will, will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So what we see is that God's spirit comes down upon you and will give you these either visions, dreams, and we love it because we're the Great Lakes Dream Center. So we want to help the community dream again. When you're little, you dream of being an astronaut. You dream of being right, a, a cowboy or a princess. You have these dreams, you have these visions, you have these goals. But as we get older, sometimes we, we don't. We don't dream again. We think that because of our culture is much different than the Middle Eastern culture, we think that dreams are the pizza we ate the night before. right? And we pretty much let them go and we forget about them. So, I've, like I said, I've already done two weeks of really looking at this and talking about that, so I'm going to try to stay on track today and just talk about like, the actual interpretation, because I've been telling you for two weeks God's given you dreams, and now, and I've been praying that you guys would remember your dreams, so you probably have woken up and you've probably written down some dreams. So let's talk about some of the symbolism in that. Now, just a reminder, if you have an alarm clock set, or you get right up out of bed and you start doing something else, most likely you're going to forget your dream. And so the easiest way, the best way, is to naturally wake up and then either have like your phone where you can do like a voice memo or a pad and paper and you write down your dream right away. Sometimes I'll just talk about my dream uh, to my husband and that helps me remember it because I said it out loud. Now, when we look at our dreams, a lot of times we will just see the big themes first. We will remember the big parts first. And then as we think about it and process it through the rest of the day, then more layers kind of uncover. All of a sudden you'll be thinking about like, well, yeah, we went into McDonald's and, and then I did this. And all of a sudden as you're rethinking about it later in the day, all of a sudden another layer comes out. Oh yeah, and I ordered 17 chicken nuggets. Huh, I wonder what that means, right? So as you think about the dream, you will a lot of times remember more 
details about it. And usually what happens is God waits for you to, to get the interpretation of the overall dream, and then as you process it even more, then he'll give you even more smaller messages or meanings into it. It's kind of like when you, you know, you call up your loved one and you're like, I really need you to stop by the store and grab some, you know, cake. At first, you just want them to get, go to the store and get the cake. But then as they say, okay, yep, yep, I, I, I think I'll have time on my lunch hour to run to the store and get some cake. Okay, great. And when you're there, make sure it's chocolate cake with strawberry filling, right? You give them more details once you know they've gotten the big part of it, the big picture of it. So dreams are symbolic. They are not literal. There can be literal dreams, but that's very rare. Most of the dreams you're having are about you, yourself, or a situation you're thinking about when you go to bed or a, a situation that you've been stressing about maybe that week in your life, okay? So you're not going to have a dream with me in it and then come tell me that God is talking to you about my life. No. If I'm in your dream, I'm probably representing God or I'm probably representing something spiritual or I might, whatever I am to you, right? Whatever feelings you have when you see me. Or maybe... When I'm in your dream, it has nothing to do with how you feel when you see me or what I represent in your life. Maybe it's my name. My name means bitter. So maybe all of a sudden you're like, okay, this person's in my dream and their name means this and that makes a lot of sense. Remember, just like when Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, when he heard the right interpretation, he knew in his heart. So I had an example. I had a dream the other day, and um, one of the guys in my dream, his name was James, and the other guy in my dream was Wes. Now, it wasn't my son, Wes. If my son, Wes, is in my dream, he represents joy. If you know Wesley, you know he's always smiling. So whenever I have a dream about Wes, it's joy. Whenever I have a dream about Claudia, it, she represents me because she's my mini-me, and that's like my strong um, feeling of her. And if Todd's in my dream, then it's intelligence. So this is a different person in my life whose name is also Wes. And at first, I was thinking about James, and I said, I don't really know this person. I mean, I know this guy's name is James, but I don't really know him well enough to have, like, a feeling about this person. Like, he doesn't represent, like, joy or peace or whatever, right? He just, he's just somebody I know, and his name happens to be James. So I looked up, what is the meaning of James? And it was, it's called surplanter. It means, like, to take the place of someone else. So this would be a person who is trying to steal something that isn't his, like trying to be in place of something else. And the other person, Wes, Wesley, it just really means like the western meadow. Okay? So I'm like, what does the surplanter in the western meadow have to do with what the situation was? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, the surplanter made sense for the James. But the Western Meadow didn't for Wesley, and I thought for a second, wait a minute. I'm thinking that both of these guys, their names are the symbol that I need to be looking for. But Wes is a farmer. And all of a sudden, when I realized that in my dream, I was supposed to go with James, but instead I went over to talk to Wes. And it dawned on me what the Lord was saying to me was, 
I don't want you to be distracted by those that are going to take away, right, and to try to replace. But instead, I want you to go and be a farmer. And see, when I'm a farmer, what am I doing? I'm sowing seed. And that's a very biblical thing. For me, it was very symbolic, and I understood it. Like, I am not to be worried about my place and, you know, to, to um, you know, replace something else and to do whatever. Instead, I am to go and I'm to sow the word. I'm to be a farmer. I'm to harvest. I'm to share the gospel. Some people water the seed. Some people plant the seed. And it made a lot of sense. As soon as I looked at, symbolically, Wes as a farmer and James as someone, you know, it almost reminded me of somebody trying to be somebody they're not, right, to be fake. So that's kind of how I was thinking about it. Should I be a fake or should I be a farmer, right? Should I go with this way or this way? Who should I listen to? What should I do? And so that was the first layer of the symbolism, is who are the people in the dream and what do they represent? And again, just like how I had to go through it a little bit, sometimes you have to think about that. But if it's somebody that's in your dreams a lot, usually that symbolism will always stay. Like now, whenever I see Wes, I know the Lord is talking to me about having joy. So that's the first layer. The next layer is what are your actions and what are your feelings? And that's why God gives us these dreams. We talked about that. When you go and you see a movie, the emotion inspires you to action. And then all of a sudden you want to do something different. And, you know, the classic example, I keep using it, but I know you guys can get it. If you just hear about the Holocaust, that's one level. But when you actually see a movie like Schindler's List or something like that, then all of a sudden it emotionally moves you to a different level. And so these dreams God's giving you is trying to get you to move into action into something else. So what about when you're feeling like you're in danger? I, like I mentioned to you before, my repetitive dream was a bad guy would come into the 7-Eleven or to the backyard picnic or to wherever and would be threatening us. I would be in danger. I would go and hide behind a tree and I would try to call 911 and I'd be 912. 913, 933, right? And I would get so frustrated. Why can't I call for help? Well, the danger in my waking life wasn't necessarily the same level of danger as somebody coming into the store with a gun. But instead, what the Lord was showing me with those repetitive dreams was something was going on in my waking life that was causing me stress or was causing me problems. And I kept thinking I had to fix the problem on my own, and I was not calling for help. And once I understood what that repetitive dream represented, then when I would wake up, if I ever had a dream like that, and be like, okay, what's going on in my life that I need help with that I'm not asking help? And I would be like, oh, okay, I got this coming up. And so I would make a call, or I'd send an email, or I'd do whatever and ask for help, and all of a sudden the next night that repetitive dream would be gone. So sometimes in your dream, it's exaggerated, right? It feels so much bigger than what's going on because God wants to make a point to you, right? He wants to show you that this is important. And if you had a gun to your head, you would do something. So even though this isn't a figural thing happening in your life, it's symbolic. Maybe your spirit, maybe your soul is in danger. We don't feel it physically, but there is something going on. 
Now again, we, we talked about sex. A lot of times people have sex dreams and they think, I'm just a horrible person, Mary. Now, there can be somebody that has like a major pornography issue and the dreams are just, you wake up and you feel bad. And that might be God trying to show you like, okay, this how you feel bad because of that, maybe it's time for you to stop, right? Maybe it's time for you to make a different plan. Maybe it's time for you to throw away the magazines or whatever you might have going on. That is very rare though. So if you're waking up and the feeling is shame, the feeling in the dream was shame. Now you might wake up and think, oh, I had a sex dream and you might feel shame and put that on yourself after you wake up. But if during the dream, it didn't seem like any big deal. I remember one time having a dream and I was in bed with a guy, it wasn't my husband, it was a dream. It was, that came from God, I told you, it was these dream messages from God. And, but we didn't do anything. We, like, like we, didn't, we just looked at each other and I got up and I left. Well, what did I say sex means? Union, the two coming together. So I remember, I was like, okay, what does this person represent in my life? And, it, you know, it was like, okay, it means this. And God was trying to show me that you are not to get in union with that. You are not to be one with that. You need to get out of bed and walk away from that, what that person represented. So in my waking life, I made a decision because I was trying to decide, right, should I do this or should I walk away? And it wasn't a sin, it was just an opportunity, a ministry opportunity to go do something. And I was asking God before I went to bed, should I do this or not? Well, then I have this dream, right, where I'm in bed with somebody and I get up and I walk away. That one's pretty clear, right? It's a pretty clear, like, meaning of I'm asking God, should I do this or not? But for some people, again, like I said, it makes you feel shame when you wake up. But you have to remember it's not literal, it's not you being with that person. God's not telling you to leave your wife and go off and be with that person or leave your husband and go off and be with that person. He's trying to use that as an example of being in union with whatever. So it depends on what they mean. Now, so people can represent emotions. They can represent, like the one guy represented being a farmer, which to me is an action of you know, ministry and doing the word. They can have the meaning of their name. They can um, have all kinds of different meanings. And that's why dream dictionaries do not work. Okay, that is somebody from the world that said, this is what historically these things mean, and so I'm going to make money by selling you a book. All right? But your dreams are symbolic and unique for you. So, you know, you might think that this person or this object, or you might think like, oh, dogs are man's best friend, but somebody else might think that they're horrible monsters that bit me when I was a kid. So that's why you have to know, and God knows, he's gonna to talk to you in your language. He knows what these things mean to you. But numbers, numbers are typically literal. Now, you might not know what they represent, though. So here's a great example. If we look here in Genesis, in Gen I'm not going to read the whole thing because I don't really feel like I'm going to have a lot of time, but um, you might not be familiar with the story of Joseph, but 
If not, read it. Go into the book of Genesis, flip through to about the 30s, chapters 30s, and you'll start to see the life of Jacob and then his sons, and you'll read about Joseph. You'll see about the dreams he had when he was a young man. And then throughout his life, he ended up interpreting dreams for other people. And so the first time we see him doing this um, outside of his childhood, he was in prison. And he was kind of the guy kind of running the place. And there were a couple guys there that had worked with the pharaoh, who was like the top dog in Egypt at the time. And they had some dreams. And so they told Joseph about these dreams. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. And he says, and I was forcibly made to go here and blah, blah, blah. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket was all kind of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift, you off, lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearers and the chief baker in his presence. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position as that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. So now in this particular case, the threes meant three days. So now, as you can see in this dream, again, some of it seems pretty obvious, but the, but the cup he, with the grapes, he squeezed it and he gave it to the Pharaoh. Whereas the other one, the chief baker said, I had three baskets of bread and I had it on my head. That's why he said, it just as the birds are coming to these on top of your head, your head is going to be cut off. Now we see Pharaoh then has a dream. Cup baker, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. A couple years go by, and the Pharaoh has a dream. And he sends for all these different people, and they keep trying to give him their interpretation. He's like, nope, that's not it. That's not it. Right? Because it doesn't ring true in his heart. When you have an interpretation from God, as you, you know, learn how to do this and you think it through, you will know in your heart when like, yes, because that's the Holy Spirit had given you that dream and you'll have Holy Spirit peace in your heart when you hear the right interpretation. So when Joseph came and gave him the interpretation, he felt that peace in his heart and he knew that was the right interpretation. But let's look at what the dream actually was. So 
They sent for him. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought to him from the dungeon. When he had his head shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you can, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, I love this. Whenever Joseph had a chance, he would say, I am, the, I am a Hebrew of Jehovah, and he gives me this ability. It's his way. When you are hearing these dreams, you have to keep reminding yourself, this is a message from heaven. This is God who is like, let a teacher teach me. We looked at the Bible. I'm now, you know, seeking God for this interpretation. When you have that peace in your heart, you're getting that peace from God. So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. Then after them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all of the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows came and ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before, and then I woke up. Now, his next dream is this pretty much the same thing, but it's about the stalks and the wheat, wheat kernels and how there were seven plump, and then the seven skinny devoured it. Now, in this case, when Joseph interpreted the dream, the seven was, again, literal. But, or it was at five. Let's see here. I'm just reading here. What did I just say? Seven. And it was years, though. So with the baker and the cupbearer, it was three days. And for the Pharaoh's dream, it was seven years and then seven lean years. And so now why were those different? Well, the cows came up from the Nile. And then the next one was about grain that's harvested. Well, those things come in cycles. If you're not familiar with Egypt's, you know, uh, seasons and crop cycles, but the Nile River would flood once a year. It would flood the land. It would flood everything around it. And so what they would do is they would know the cycles. They would know when that water would come up. They would, you know, plant their crops accordingly. And when that water would flood, they would be able to capture it, put it in, you know, different tanks. They'd be able to do... Um, Oh, the, the trenches and the ditches and the water would then go up and water all their fields. So as these cows came up from the Nile, he knows that these are representing years because the, anything from the Nile, the blessings, the bounty comes up every year. So the numbers are literal, but the people and um, other objects in your dream are symbolic. Now, the problem is is you don't always know what the numbers mean at first. And sometimes it'll take a little bit for you to kind of know, and sometimes you never know until maybe something happens afterwards. And it's like, oh my gosh, in the dream, I, I saw that number, and now this makes sense because, you know, it's been five months, and God kept saying five, and, and all of a sudden now whatever you just had happen in your life, because you had had that dream with the numbers, now all of a sudden you know that this thing that just happened is from God. So God sometimes will use those numbers to help confirm something, 
But again, unless you're writing things down and you're like keeping them where you can see them, you will forget that and you will see that. But so dreams come to us for many reasons, to help us with making a decision, to help us make a decision to stop doing something or to do something differently, to walk away from something. Sometimes the dreams are just to confirm that God is working on it, but it's just taking a while. We're kind of impatient people, aren't you? I, I don't know about you, I'm impatient. I'm always like, I want it now, I want it my way, and I want it done, you know, correctly. But in reality, you know, especially, like, whenever I, like, God, when are you going to do this? You know what he, he'll do? And I'm like, really, God? All of a sudden, it'll flash before my eyes. Moses was in the desert 40 years. You know, Joseph was in prison for eight, nine years. And I'll be like, Really? Really, like, serious, can't you get this done by tomorrow? You know, Jesus is born, and he's not until he's 30. He's 12, right? He's 12 years old, finally, legally, within the religious system. He can go to the temple. He can start preaching. When his parents found him in the temple when he was 12, it didn't say he was sitting there listening to the old guys. It said the old guys were listening to him. He's 12. He's like, let's go, right? They put God in a human boy body. And he's impatient just like we are. When it says God knows what we're going through, he does. And his mom's like, uh-uh, get your booty up, we're going home. And what does he do? The person with that has never sinned. One of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. He gets up and follows her. It's not till he's 30 before he finally goes back and begins to minister. It's like, all right, you may God wait 18 years. You know, Jesus, I guess I can wait another day. Hope you figure it out tomorrow, though, God, right? But, you know, we need to sometimes look that God is showing us a big picture, and he is trying to do that. Now, some other things with dreams, I'm going to try to stay on track here, is black and white versus color. Has anybody ever dreamt in black and white? Yeah, I'm seeing some hands up. So typically what we find is that um, black and white, some people just dream in black and white, and they're usually, it's very analytical thinking, usually these are the type of people that their life is black and white, right? This is either right or this is wrong. They are, they make calculated decisions, and so God a lot of times will show them their dreams in black and white. This is a black and white issue. There's a wrong answer and there's a right answer. Now, that doesn't mean they never dream in color, right? There's times where there is color. And maybe this dream, this message is more emotional. It's emotional based. There's got to be, and I, pretty much all of my dreams are always in color. Why? Because I'm an emotional person. Everything I do is emotional based. So God will sometimes talk to us in dreams different ways than that. So we see a lot of different things that happen in our dreams. One time Gideon was called by God to save the, the children of Israel from an army, an enemy. And at that time they didn't have a king and they would just kind of have different people that would kind of rise up with, with the ability to hear from God. And, and at this time there was Gideon and he was of the smallest tribe in the smallest, you know, clan of that tribe, of the smallest thing, and he was like the youngest son of a bunch of brothers, and his family was the smallest one, so he just really felt like he was nobody, and basically God starts to talk to him about how they're gonna, he's gonna rescue them, and because the enemy was so fierce, 
that when the guys, they would have to go out at night and try to harvest their crops and take them and, and, and thresh them and get the uh, grain at night when nobody was looking because if during the day they did this and they had a bag of grain, the enemy was all over. They'd come and just take the grain from them. So here he is. It's nighttime. He's trying to, in secret, get some grain so he has some food for his family so these other guys don't steal it because, I mean, they could just take the grain out of the field, but then they'd have to do the work of thrashing it, and they don't want to, so they'd wait till the other guys did it. And God tells him to get an army together. It's time to make these guys leave. So even though he's not a natural leader in the way their system worked, he got the word out, and everyone's like, yes, together we can do this. And so they all come together, and there's like over 20,000 guys that come together. And, and, you know, it might even have been more than that. And God was like telling Gideon, that's too many. Tell them to go home. Anybody that's scared, doesn't want to be there, tell them to go home. So he says, if you don't want to be here, please go home. So they get it down. And God's like, that's too many people. And Gideon's like, well, why can't we go with a bunch of people? And God's like, because then everyone will tell the story that because you guys had more numbers, you won. But that is not the way this is going to happen. You're going to win because I am going to fight for you. So Gideon's like, oh, okay. So God tells him what to do, and he tells people, go home, go home, go home, go home. He gets down to 300 guys. He's like, okay, God, can we go now? He's like, yep, you can go with 300 guys, but you're not going to take any weapons. Now Gideon's starting to get really worried. He's like, what are you talking about? I have no weapons. I only have 300 guys. I've got this whole army that's been beating us all up, and this is horrible. I had over 20,000. You want me to go with 300 guys and no weapons? No weapons. He says, just take a torch and a trumpet, and you guys are going to go into their camp. We're going to go into the camp? Yeah. So Gideon's like, I don't know if I want to do this. I know he's God and everything, but I don't believe that this is possible. So he says, God, you're going to have to give me a sign. What are we going to do? He says, all right, take your buddy there, go sneak into the camp, and just go sit and listen to what they're saying. So he's like, all right. So this is what happens. So we're in Judges chapter 7, verse 8. And it says, so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the cap, cap of Midian lay below them in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it to your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and his servant went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Alchemites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled into the valley, thick as locusts. Their camel could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp. It struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing more than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midian camp into your hands. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I lived in the Ukraine and the Russians came and God told me to go find 300 people and get trumpets and go over to Russia and we were going to defeat them, I really don't think a dream about a piece of bread hitting a tent was going to make me do anything. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, what? You want me to do what? I'd be like, well, I guess I know the Lord. I go home to heaven when I die. See y'all later. See, Gideon knew that dreams were from God. Gideon knew that dreams were from God. And he knew that God gave this man that dream, and he understood that everything about it was symbolic. Their tent meant them, their dwelling, all of the people there. And a little round loaf of barley bread, I don't know if you've ever had barley, but it's not thick and heavy. It's considered like weak. You know, maybe Gideon's family was known for growing barley. I don't know. But they knew that that symbolized Gideon. And a little tiny round loaf of bread could hit that tent and make it turn over. These tents would be secured so that huge windstorms could come and they could hunker down in them and be safe. So God was showing them. And then the guy's interpretation and instantly the other guy had confirmation in his heart that this was true, that they were going to defeat them. Now, if you continue reading in Judges, they did defeat them. The people were all so worked up about this because they had seen and heard, why did God send 20-some thousand troops to begin with? Well, the enemy saw that. So the enemy saw 20-some thousand troops. They didn't know about how they got down to 300 and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, in the dark, they go into the camps. Now these, these guys have gotten themselves all worked up, right? They're thinking, oh, there's going to be 20,000 guys going to come get us at some point. So they go into the middle of the night. They had put pots over their torches. They said, knock the pots off and start blowing your trumpet. So these 300 guys in the middle of the night go all through the camp. They knock off the, the pots. They have their torches. They're blowing their trumpet. And all of the enemy wakes up, and they're confused, and they all kill each other. That's why Gideon's guys didn't need any weapons. They just ran around blowing the trumpet with their, with their thing, and by the morning, everybody, all the enemy was dead. They were so worked up. They were so afraid. They thought there's 20,000 guys in their camp that when their buddies across the way came out with their swords, they all just killed each other. All because of a dream. Because that dream conferred confirmed to Gideon that God was with them. God loves you just as much as he loves Gideon. And he knows that the battles you face are not quite the same, but that your fears, that your worries, that your concerns, that your wondering is just as valid as Gideon's wondering. And because the Holy Spirit, like Joel tells us, has been poured upon all people, Right? When we accept Christ, what did Jesus say? I must go so the Holy Spirit can come. If you believe in Jesus, you have his Spirit's been poured out on you. God wants to communicate with you on a regular basis, on a daily basis. He wants to give you a dream. You might not realize this because of our society and the way we look at things, but if you go back to Genesis, it would say there was night and there was day and there was one day, right? There was, there was dark, there was light, and that was one day. Why does it always start with dark and then light? Because the day actually starts at night. When you go to bed, your day has begun. And the first thing that happens in your day is God talks to you. 
And then you wake up, your day's about halfway done, and you can take what God told you to do, and you can apply it to the rest of your day. But so many of us, we think that I'm going to bed for the night, and tomorrow is a new day. And you don't realize, no, your day is just beginning, and God is the first one that wants to talk to you. He is the one that wants to be the first person whispering in your ear and trying to show you what to do, trying to talk to you and give you confirmation, just like Gideon got. The thing is, is you can have a wrong interpretation happen, right? We've, we've talked about this before. God gives us sex, so it's beautiful in our marriage, and it you know, produces children, and it's enjoyable to us, and Satan perverts it, right? Well, you know, God gives us work, and, you know, some of us work too much, and, and we work our bodies down, and we get unhealthy, and Satan can pervert it, right? God can give us wealth, and, and Satan can pervert it. So then it's the love of money, or, you know, the love of money becomes the root of all evil, not money. And so anything God gave us that is good, it can be perverted to something bad. So in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 2, we are warned. It says, the idols dis- speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep oppressed for the lack of a shepherd. Now, I'm not going to say that people who have written dream dictionaries are diviners. What does that mean? Like witchcraft, they're trying, you know, fortune telling, tarot cards, things like that. For some people, I think they truly are, maybe they're the psychologists, therapists, where they have just you know, talk to enough people who have dreamt and said, well, what did that mean to you? And, right, like 90% of people feel dogs are cool. So that in their dream dictionary, they put, if your dog is in your dream, it probably means friend. But the reality is that there are things that can deceive you. There are people, and, you know, sometimes it is just blatant as, like, you know, uh, somebody that advertises themselves as a fortune teller, and they might be like, well, did you have any dreams lately? And you'll tell them a dream, and they might just interpret it differently. Because Satan wants to take anything God gave us that is good and twist it. So I wanted just to end with that warning of when you are looking at your dreams now and understanding that they are from God, don't just ask anybody to interpret your dream, and don't just believe any interpretation. Anytime I have a message that I don't understand, I don't act on it, right? I will maybe set it on a shelf, I'll write it in a book, maybe I'll talk to somebody else that maybe understands. The other day I was putting something together and I could not figure out which bolts went with what. I didn't just grab whatever, I called my husband over and says, what what are they talking about here? What is an M6, whatever, whatever? And he knew it's metrics, honey, and, and he measured it for me and found me the bolt I needed. So my point is, don't make any major life decisions based on a dream. And don't look to an interpretation of somebody that you don't necessarily know and trust that they're hearing from God. A lot of times people will have one dream and they think that they need to change their whole life. Most of the time the dreams are confirming to you something you already know to do. Maybe you already know I need to stop going over and talking to so-and-so. Right? And in your dream, something that you know represents so-and-so, you know, tries to pull you into a dangerous situation and you have to escape and get away. Okay, well, I'm pretty sure that my God just told me last night I need to escape and get away from this person. 
Well, that's a confirmation of something during the day you've already thought about doing. But if in your dream, all of a sudden, you think you're in union with somebody or something that you've never even thought about before, just don't, like, don't quit your job over it or don't you know, do any major life decisions. Write, write it down, pray about it, and God will give you a different confirmation or um, another interpretation if that wasn't correct. So I don't want to like have anybody making huge life decisions because of one dream that maybe you didn't quite understand because we know the dreams are from God, but that doesn't mean every single interpretation is from God. So does that make sense? I've been praying that you guys have dreams and um, that we as Christian people can recognize that this is something that is biblical, that is something that people, it was very common. A lot of times, you know, we, we look at, say, well, I would pray for healing, you know, and in the Bible it talks about healing, Jesus healed. You know, I, I know that there's salvation, I know there's the Holy Spirit, and, but a lot of times we dismiss the dream part of it. We don't, because it was so commonplace for them. Like, by the time the New Testament came around, there was no theology on dreams, but yet, Oh, Paul had a dream to go to Macedonia, so he went to Macedonia. They're, they were just living it. They didn't even think, oh, I don't I need to write about that. Like, what do you mean? Of course, you know, dreams are from God. Look in the Old Testament. You know, Joseph got these dreams from God. So it's just something for us to remember. It's one more way that God wants to talk to you and bless you. I'm going to have the ushers come forward for our communion. We do this once a month. It's a wonderful reminder of what Jesus did on the cross for us. We look in the book of Matthew during the Last Supper, and we invite anyone who believes in Jesus that is, um, wants to welcome to join us with communion. So let me pray over and bless these elements, and then the ushers will pass them out. You can get the, everything peeled off and ready, and we'll take it all together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. Amen. 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 So feel free. Um, these are all individually packaged, so all you have to do is peel the, the top part off, and you'll have your little wafer available. And then as you peel off the other seal, the juice will be open and again we'll we'll pray and, and take these all at one time again anyone that believes in Jesus you're welcome to remember what Jesus did on the cross with us I love how in Isaiah 53 when it talks about Jesus going to the cross and his blood being shed and all of these different things happening that it says that we receive salvation because we are forgiven of our iniquities and our transgressions. Are those one-time sins that we commit or the transgressions? The iniquities are those ones we struggle with. I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, I pray and ask the Lord to forgive me and tomorrow I might do the same thing again and think, why do I do that? But I'm so glad that God knew so in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I love how, you know, so many times we talk about the blood of Jesus and how the blood of Jesus 
forgives us, and that's why we go to heaven, and that's true. We're, we're just about to read it here in Matthew. But his body was also beaten and bruised and wounded because when he went to the cross, he didn't just do that for our salvation. He did that for us to have peace and by his wounds for us to be healed. We're made in God's image. There's three parts of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is that soul, the passion, the emotion, the one we have that relationship with, right? Jesus says, pray to the Father in my name. He wanted to restore that. And Jesus was the body. He was the physical embodiment of God here on earth. And the Holy Spirit, obviously, is the spirit. Well, we're our body, soul, and spirit. So we're made in God's image. So when Jesus went to the cross, he couldn't have just come to save one part of us. He didn't just come and say, like, okay, I'm just going to save your spirit. So when you die, your spirit goes up to heaven, and it's forgiven, and so you can talk to God and have that. But your soul, you're not going to have peace while you're here on earth. Your emotions, your relationships with others. Now, you, you got to figure that out. Have hell on earth and just when you come and die, you'll, your spirit will go up to heaven. No. He says, when I go to the cross, I want to not only save their spirit so they can have that connection with the Father, but I want to make sure that their soul and their emotions and their relationships here on earth have peace. And their body. I want to come, I'm going to die on that cross, I'm going to be crushed, and I'm going to be beaten, and the wounds on me are going to be to bring you healing. So when your body is sick, when your body is struggling, you can say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I can go to the elders of the church, I can pray and believe for healing as well. Now we know eventually our bodies don't last forever, and we do go. But he did that so that we would have some relief while we're here. He says in Matthew chapter 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let us take the bread. Father, we thank you that Jesus did not just give us his blood for salvation, but that he allowed his body to be beaten and crushed so that we could have peace in our relationships and our peace in our time here on earth. The world tries to give us peace and it's not good enough. We need your peace. So as we take this communion, we ask you to bring peace to our souls. Give us wisdom on how to interact with those around us and how to be with us so our emotions are at peace. And then he came and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us take the cup. Father, we thank you that Jesus' blood was shed, and it is in the name of Jesus that we are saved and we are forgiven not only for our one-time sins, but for those that we struggle with day after day. Give us your wisdom, give us your blessings, bring healing to our body as we receive all of the gifts that Jesus gave us for all three parts of us. We receive them right now and we thank you, not only for the gift of peace and the gift of healing and the gift of salvation and forgiveness of our sins, but for the blessings of your communication to us, even in our dreams. Help us to dream again. Help us to see the interpretations and the symbolism and the meaning so that way our conversations with you are every single day. 
that we start our day with you whispering in our ear and we wake up and let that be the guiding voice for the rest of the day. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you all so much for coming and congratulations, graduates. Life is just about to get exciting. So I will see you all next Sunday at 6 p.m. And I hope you all have a wonderful, safe 4th of July week. God bless.